We're in outer space! Told you numbers don't lie. This is crazy, bro! It's the Popcorn Digest with Gareth and Andy! Hello and welcome to Popcorn Digest, the podcast about the films you love and some you don't. I'm your host, Gareth Green, and joining me as always is my full-time co-host and part-time RuPaul's drag racer, the furious Andrew Raphael. I know the audience can't see you currently, but I can, and I can say he's completely starkers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's time once more for a first and last episode of the show, in which Andy and I review both the first and latest release in a film series to see how that series has developed, improved, or even failed over the years. In this episode, we're revving our engines for the Fast and the Furious franchise as we look at the original Vin Diesel and Paul Walker starring gay porno and Fast 9. But does this series have enough in the tank to win the race? Or like an American Thanksgiving, have we spent way too much time with this cinematic family? Find out after the trailer. Let's go for a little ride. This is yours, but if you win, you get her too. What the hell is that all about? A business deal that went sour. Plus, I made the mistake of sleeping with his sister. Been a long time, Dom. So we're up against a master thief, assassin, high performance driver. Who is he? Jacob is Dom's brother. Your whole life, you pushed yourself to be faster than Dom. Smarter than Dom. Stronger than Dom. But could you kill him? Because I'm ready if you are. The monolith from 2001 A Space Odyssey stars as Dominic Toretto, a character who, just like the monolith from 2001, is rather large, kinda black, and communicates exclusively in a tone that causes audible distress (laughs) to all those who can hear it. The first film in the series follows undercover cop Point Brian, a surfer, I, I mean street racer, who, like most cops, loves nothing more than a good race war with his buddies. (laughs) When Brian infiltrates Vin Diesel's street racing family, he soon discovers they're behind the greatest American heist since Heat, hijacking multiple VHS and DVD players. (laughs) In the latest film in the series, Dom has since changed his ways, graduating from stealing cheap electronic equipment to saving the world from nuclear annihilation by grunting his way through action scenes like a diabetic porn star. That's right, we're buckling ourselves in to watch Mission Vin Possible Balls Out. <laughs> so, Andy, I will come straight out and say I am a diehard fan 
of the Fast and the Furious franchise. Oh, dear. And by that, I mean, I like about three of them. Uh, (laughs) The the rest of them, they're they're just films I've seen. Mm. But yes, I I am a diehard fan. I will watch every single Fast and Furious film that comes my way. And yeah, that's on me. (laughs) You are a Fast and Furious virgin, or at least you was until uh, this weekend. So... How has your experience been with this Fast and Furious family, I will say? Because it is a family. Yeah, well, my bottom's very sore. Um, (laughs) But, um, yeah, I've never seen any of the Fast and Furious films. And Fast and Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, uh, I think that's maybe the the best, worst sequel title ever. (laughs) They both came out when we were in secondary school and we were the prime audience for that that those kind of films yeah we were given how much we were the prime audience i never went to see it had no interest at all in seeing a film of that kind same it's it's a strange old series because i kind of followed the release of each film because when tokyo drift came out it was one of those films where you kind of think oh the series is trailing off now they're doing spin-offs yeah already without any of the main cast and it's going to die a death and then they had that reunion with fast and furious yeah which i think was uh, very poorly reviewed at the time it was poorly reviewed but it was a box office hit yeah but at that point you you kind of thought oh it's done now yeah there's very little they can do with it and then all of a sudden fast five comes out and it just kind of reinvented the franchise yeah i mean the best way to describe it because we'll probably be comparing it with another well-known action franchise throughout but it, it basically fast five was what ghost protocol was to mission impossible in terms of reinvigorating that franchise and giving it a, a template to follow yeah and ever since fast five i followed the release and 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 seen how it's gotten more and more overblown ridiculous amount of characters uh-huh. Uh, and set pieces and obviously being a theme park fan oh of course yeah knowing about the rather atrocious universal studios attraction um fast and furious supercharged which is one of the the worst received attractions in any theme park in the world did that overtake the mummy in the universal park no no it um overtook earthquake oh right okay yeah it's it's round it's sort of like situated around the back in um most of these films are situated around the back. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those situations where pretty much every Universal fan probably wished that Earthquake was still there because it it's a complete yeah. waste of space. It's strange because it's one thing that I thought that this franchise probably could make as a halfway decent theme park ride. Yeah. <laughs> and yet they seem to have just bundled it completely. Yeah, I mean, what a way to absolutely bungle theme park ride and especially from universal because their track record recently has been very good and that was a very that was a very rare dud for them yeah it was originally a uh, in universal studios hollywood that was a tram tour experience in 3d Mm -hmm. but when they supplanted it to universal studios florida they just made vehicles in place of the tram and it's not in 3d and there's nothing else to it. So, like, as a standalone attraction, it's very, very poor. But, um, yeah, following things like that, and obviously, I'd say outside of Fast Five, the most publicised instalment of this series is probably Fast and Furious 7, mainly because of the uh, death of Paul yeah. Walker and them obviously having to finish the film without him and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and obviously, that's the most financially successful of all the films 
you know, partly because of that. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, and obviously the 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 uh, the feud between Dwayne Johnson and Vin Diesel and Tyrese Gibson. And obviously, yeah, just not in any kind of great detail, but just knowing about the mainly the off-screen drama between all these films, and obviously the spin-off, Hobbs and Shaw, Fate of the Furious, and, mm-hmm. and it not quite living up to Fast Seven. And then, yeah, this one coming out, and I remember this one because obviously it was delayed for a whole year, wasn't it? So in terms of Fast Nine, it was, yeah. And yeah, that's about it, really. And obviously, other than every other line and people mocking it for using the word family so much me familia <laughs> and that's genuine my, my knowledge but i i didn't realize how far the series had gone in terms of going away from its original premise yeah and and watching the fast and the furious and then f9 the following evening it was um <laughs> a transcendent experience it sounds like the only thing i could probably compare it to would be if you watched James Bond, if you watched Doctor No or From Russia Would Love, and then immediately after that followed up with watching Die Another Day, Moonraker. Yeah, Die Another Day or Moonraker <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the only thing I can compare it to. For me, it kind of reminds me of um there's there's a thing that me and my wife do every year. Excuse me? Uh, yeah. Just once a year. <laughs> <laughs> that's it we have it in the planner uh, but there's a, there's a thing that we do at christmas every year i'll censor all this stuff out now but uh, <laughs> that's what you use the tinsel for yeah exactly yeah it's why we burn it afterwards oh <laughs> so th- there's something that we do every single year because we have family that used to work on the show and so there's something comforting about watching it at this point but we always watch the christmas special of eastenders but we never watch EastEnders at all during the yeah. year. We just don't. Yeah. We don't like it. We don't really en- enjoy it. But it's always fun to kind of watch this once a year, once a year episode because of how crazy everybody's lives are. Like uh, yeah. how different it is from the last time. Like I watched it one year, and Martin was is a character called Martin who owns a uh, like a stall on the market, and he's a regular guy with the kid on the way or something like that. Mm. And then I watched it the following year and he was like a hired assassin thug. (laughs) (laughs) He was trying to like debate whether or not he should kill this person that he's got like tied up in a warehouse. I was like, wow, it's been a rough year for him. (laughs) I mean, we all dealt with COVID, but he's had a bad year. (laughs) Oh, like with any soap character, especially the long running ones, if you actually looked at all the events in their, in their lives, you'd be like, God, they'd be locked up in an institution. <laughs> no human being could withstand those events yeah. and stay sane. <laughs> but Fast and Furious very much reminds me of that. It's got that kind of like uh, whiplash. I was thinking about this and like in comparing Fast and Furious characters to EastEnders, <laughs> I reckon Dom is the Phil Mitchell of Fast and Furious. He is, yeah. And John Senna is is the Grant. <laughs> oh my God, that's it. We've got it. it yeah. You know what? I think this might be where they've drawn most of their inspiration from because it yeah. is very like soap opera-ish. Yeah. It is like a soap opera with a $300 million budget. Yeah. And like an unlimited budget for white vests. I mean, there's something I should tell you as well. Um, like the white vest that Vin Diesel wears in this film, in Fast and Furious 9, isn't just like a regular white vest. He wears it in every film. Yeah. And at one point, he's shown to get married and he's wearing like a special white vest. 
It's that absurd. This is his superhero costume. By this time, it's it's a superhero film in all but name. I mean, yes. that, that's all they're lacking is a suit and a superhero name. I mean, obviously, this is a, a film series that has evolved over time. But for me, I, I don't want to give too much away. But Fast and Furious 9 was almost like a checklist of everything I hate about modern blockbuster movies. It's the stupidest film. And I say this as somebody who enjoys these films. It is the stupidest film I've seen. This is the second time I've seen it, and I still had zero idea what was going on. I mean, it says everything in, in when the first footage I saw of this film outside of the trailer was one of those Corridor Crew videos where they evaluate good and bad CGI in films. And oh, yeah. They chose the opening action sequence, especially there's a certain bit where Michelle Rodriguez is on a bike and it does a really odd move off something. Yes. And they use that as a really bad example of CGI in a film and and say how, you know, the physics and everything were all wrong and how some of it was rendered wrong and everything, like, and how poorly set up it would have been for the CGI, the poor CGI artist to have actually done that because it, the, the prep wasn't done. Uh, I mean, this mm-hmm. seems to be a running theme at the moment with these kind of big budget films where the the prep work isn't done or the directors don't have enough know-how or experience or talent to actually execute the the sort of basis for all these Mm -hmm. kind of visual effects. And that's why so many of them look so bad. It's because, you know, it's not really the CGI artist's fault. No, no. It's the people beforehand who give them the footage to work with or don't give them the time or resources to do them well. And this is a a textbook example of that because I'm not sure that it's leaning into the the ridiculousness. The film doesn't earn its ridiculousness. And I'll go Mm -hmm. into the reasons why later, but the film doesn't earn the right to be that ridiculous. And going back to the first film, it's... um, I mean, if I had to pick one of the two to watch again, I'd definitely watch the first one. Oh, for sure, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, I had a very similar... Uh, relationship with the first film as you did where when it came out i didn't see it 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 was made for our generation but not for my crowd no no i say that i was uh, you know a real big mosher i was very much into new metal and that is the most new metal film that you can think of it's like <laughs> real new metal bad rap you described it to me beforehand as the most 2001 film you'll ever see it truly is it truly <laughs> is like if you want to feel rooted into a place and an era that's the film to watch but i wasn't really into cars so no, i didn't no. think about watching it it just didn't cross my mind I wasn't into street racing i didn't have car posters up on a wall like loads of other teenage boys did yeah I had movie posters up it wasn't until years later, I think towards the time when Fast Five came out, that I actually went back and watched them all. And out of the two, the first one's not my favourite film of the franchise or anything like that, but of the two that we've just watched, it's yeah. certainly head and shoulders the best, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. And definitely the one that I would watch again. But before we really go down that road, I guess I should lay some context as to how this franchise came about and where it's been over the years and some of the things that have happened. Because as you mentioned, it's a series that you've kept up with in regards to the controversies and dramas that have happened behind the scenes. Because as much as it is a soap opera on the screen itself, it's it's very much just an equally a soap opera behind the cameras as well. 
Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot to talk about there. I actually thought, like, if somebody years from now wanted to make a film about the making of a franchise and about all of the, uh, you know, the machinations <laughs> that go into making these films, that, yeah, that, that yeah. would be a good one to make. It'd be like mank for dummies and it seems as like those controversies and and onset dramas have even extended into the um the latest fast and furious film which has yet to come out with justin lynn walking off set after about a week of filming and and all that kind of stuff did you see the video of justin lynn on set as posted by vin diesel no no okay so i'll just lay the scene the day before justin lynn is announced as having left production Vin Diesel posts a picture of him and Justin Lin talking on set on his Facebook page. Yeah. And um, it's it's like like a North Korean hostage situation. Right. Where Vin Diesel's got a camera in his face and he's like, hey, Justin, you reckon this is going to be the best one yet? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's looking good. He's like, yeah, it's looking good, you know, and this kind of thing. And it's um, he's just trying to like hype him up on everything, but it's clear like the way Justin Lin keeps looking at the camera, you know, in that way that like um, Tim from The Office does when he l- looks at the camera, yeah, as if yeah. something crazy's happening, and he wants to make sure that people know he's not part of it. Yeah, <laughs> Justin Lin keeps looking at the camera in that way. And it's like he's trying to send out some sort of like Morse code message in blinks or something, you know, wow. yeah. to somebody. But like, and then the next day it's announced Justin Lin has left production. Oh. It's it is one of the most absurd videos I've I've ever seen. Oh, I must see that later. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Justin? Week one, just finished week one. How does it feel? Feels like the beginning of uh, of an epic ending. Is it fair to say that this will be the best one? In my heart, yes. That's the thing with Justin Lin as well. Like Watching F9 last night, I I couldn't believe that this was the same director that had made Star Trek Beyond because that is a film I'm rather fond of. Out of those sort of Star Trek reboot films, it's probably my favourite of the three Yeah, because it's the most disciplined and it doesn't have any lens flare. (laughs) yeah <laughs> and it's you know kind of a, a more of a straightforward star trek adventure yeah it feels like a, a re- like an episode in a way yeah I, I couldn't quite believe that it was the same director it's not it, it's really not this is a different person entirely this is i think the closest i can say and i don't really want to put him side by side with this director but it's like is the mummy an alex kurtzman film or is it a tom cruise film yeah yeah fast nine isn't a justin lynn film it's a vin diesel film yeah because even if you look at fast five and fast six or or, or it's like fast five and furious six or something like that yeah if you look at those two in isolation as well they're completely different films in terms of the way that they've been made yeah but yeah in regards to some context as to how the franchise came about well the first film was actually based on a magazine article in the, in the magazine Vibe, and called it was what? about <laughs> the magazine's called What Hi Fi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, reviews for DVD VHS combo yeah. players. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure 
Panasonic must have had a stake in this film. You know what amazes me about that whole section of the film, where like yeah. it, that, the fact that it opens with like a glimpse inside the cargo hold, <laughs> and it's like like them locking up the crown jewels, and it's just Panasonic DVD players. Yeah, it didn't make me chuckle. And then Vin Diesel says, "Just one more of these, and we'll have enough to retire." Oh my god! And I'm like, fucking it, you gotta live off. Live like kings or fucking DVD players. I know DVD players back in the day were, you know, a bit more expensive than they are now, but not loads. It wasn't retirement money. No. <laughs> you weren't thinking, I can retire in my 30s. <laughs> because I sold a cargo hold of DVD players. That's that line when I saw a picture of us sitting on a beach in Mexico, and then, like, six weeks later, they come back. That was a good holiday. <laughs> Shall we steal some more DVD players? That's what they meant by long vacation, six weeks. All the money's gone now. I've got a new heist. This one will really set us up for life. There's a cargo shipment of Zoom players coming in next week. (laughs) I've got a cargo shipment of Kindle readers coming to this dock tomorrow. We've landed the mother load. A truckload of PlayStation 2s. (laughs) We've got a busload of Dreamcasts coming in. We're we're building up to that Best Buy heist. (laughs) Oh man! Sorry, and then there's an international caper where they they decide to take down Curry's PC World. <laughs> <laughs> we made it away with seven. Count that seven gateway computers. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a gateway computer. It was shit. This bad boy can hold twenty gigabyte. <laughs> oh. oh my god! But yeah, it, it it is a rather ridiculous premise slash target for a crime film. I mean, it's so tame. It's, so, it's easily the tamest crime film ever. And, and the best bit I read on IMDb earlier that Paul Walker wanted to do this film because he'd seen Donnie Brasco and wanted to do a film like that. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, there's, there's no com- no comparison between this and Donnie Brasco. Fucking hell. Not that, you know, Johnny Depp's not the, the greatest in the world, but... It's like Donnie Brasco starring the guy from Tammy and the T-Rex. Yeah. You know, it's like, it certainly lives up to that name. Oh, Tammy and the T-Rex. Tammy and the T-Rex. That's like a fever dream of a film. It truly is. That film is just, we've got an animatronic T-Rex, what do we do with it? What boggles my mind about that film, though, is that they have an animatronic T-Rex. It's like, why don't they pretend it's a real T-Rex that they've made? I'm wondering whether that was the original plan, and they thought, the T-Rex isn't very good. We'll never get away with this. No. Because <laughs> it's on, like, some fucking plywood board as well, isn't it? It's Oh, dear me. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so this franchise came about because uh, it was based on an article in Vibe magazine. Uh, the article was called Racer X, and it was about street racing in L.A., the original script was written by, well, it was developed by Gary Scott Thomas and Eric Bergquist, and they brought David Aaron later in production, who saw it as being too white for the LA landscape and for the culture that it was based in, and so he kind of infused it with some culture. Yeah, That's the background for this. It seems like it was a simple one two three kind of step into straight into production with this as you mentioned paul walker wants to be in this because of donny brasco he liked the idea of playing that kind of role somebody who's both a cop but has that duality to him you know he likes to race the thing i like i love most about fast and furious is at no point in the making of the film did 
any of the writers, the director, or the actors think to say, should we keep calling this a race war? <laughs> should we call it something else? Because I think LA and race war together as like names, drag racing isn't the first thing that people think of. Street racing isn't what people think of. No. But yeah, especially when you've got like Vin Diesel speaking lines like, we're the first people in LA to, to make race war a thing. It's like, no, well, that's... <laughs> That's not good, my man. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> Someone should stop you. Uh. But yeah, uh, and how if we looked at it in isolation, like without framing it against Fast 9, how would you feel about The Fast and The Furious? It's one of those films that I would be describing as okay, but rather unremarkable. It has one good sequence in it, but it ends out of nowhere. Uh, and it's not wrapped up very well. Yeah. You know, it's a very lightweight film. It only really comes to life in one sort of five to ten minute sequence and then quickly falls apart again after that. Yeah. It's not a particularly memorable film because I only, I only watched it two nights ago and I can barely remember half of it. But, you know, it's not, it's not an offensively bad film or anything. It's just fine. It does have a great moment where... During uh, the first street race, they seem to reach light speed. Yeah, you described to me like, yeah, it has one great sequence in it, but the drag sequences suck. Yeah. And it's gotten a very egregious soundtrack. I mean, given that it's uh, had David Ayer's involvement in it, it, it's a very, I mean, not quite to that level, but very Suicide Squad soundtrack where it's wall-to-wall soundtrack at all times. Yeah, it's very dated. It's implanted in the time that it's made. Mm-hmm. Like we said, it's the most 2001 film you'll ever see. And if you want to know what a teen action film was like at that period of time, this probably would be the one that you would you would drag yeah. out. Either this one or Triple X, the film they made straight after. Yeah, Triple X has the other one. And it does have a certain amount of, of influence because not that we've done it on this show. We, we probably will do it at some point. Dying of the Day definitely was influenced by this film. I mean, right down to the casting, because of the fact you have Rick Yoon as the villain in this film, and then he becomes... Yeah. The, he's pretty much the main villain in Die Another Day anyway. Yeah, he's, he's, he's certainly more relevant to the plot than... Yeah, well, I think he has more screen time. Yeah, exactly, well. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, the fact that he's the main villain in both those films and, and also quite a bit of the car action and, and everything is borrowed for a film that's kind of so slight and, and you know rather unremarkable it does have a considerable amount of influence on other films of that time mm-hmm. and yeah it's, it's again it's just fine <laughs> there's nothing particularly wrong with it it's just not particularly amazing either the reason i think it just about works for me is uh, yes it does have that one admittedly very good action sequence that's about 10 minutes five to ten minutes at the end it feels very like stripped back and focused yeah the other thing i think that just about puts it on the right side of average is weirdly that i think paul walker and vin diesel have good chemistry together yeah yeah and for vin diesel i think he's the only person who he's ever had chemistry with whatsoever. <laughs> like, I think that's part of the issue with the series as well, is that it's lost that Paul Walker element. I mean, the best Vin Diesel films are the ones where he's not on screen, i.e. The Iron Giant and Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> the, the chemistry that he has with the young boy in The Iron Giant, and then also the chemistry that he has with Rocket in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is, is palpable. Uh, but then when you get Vin Diesel on the screen 
Yeah. Vin Diesel is Vin Diesel and he'll he'll be doing his own thing. He's in his own orbit. Yeah. So yeah, it is very like rare to get that interpersonal chemistry with another actor on screen for for Vin Diesel because often mm. it isn't there. It's just all about Vin Diesel. Exactly, yeah. That's all the more apparent when you you compare this film with Fast 9 because obviously Paul Walker is no longer with us and his absence is is sorely felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and also because I think because Dom in the first one is he's kind of the antagonist so he's not the main focus it's all main you know at this point in the series the series is following brian yes yeah too fast too furious doesn't have vin diesel in it at all no it continues the brian story and obviously that starts to shift later on mainly as vin diesel's star eclipses paul walker's where that you know it flips yeah in fast and furious and then going forward it becomes more more of a Vin Diesel vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's a good balance in this one because Vin Diesel is kept in check because of his status within the film. The thing is as well, he's like, in the other films in between, there are still good individual Vin Diesel performances for Vin Diesel, if we rank them on the Vin Diesel curve. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 and there are some good performances. Fast 9 is like the lowest of the low. It's the, like it doesn't get worse than that, really. Yeah, yeah. Now, I want you to think of of that kind of chemistry that he does actually have with Paul Walker. As, you know what? Saying that, there's one other character that he does have chemistry with, and it's certainly not M- Michelle Rodriguez, who's supposed to be playing no. as like, wife partner throughout this entire series. Especially as they were supposed to be dating at the time in real life as well. Oh my, what? what? Really? Yeah. yeah, I read that earlier today. That's crazy. Yeah, because Michelle Rodriguez is kind of a, a non-character in the first one. Yes, yes, she is, yeah. She's very peripheral. This was like a second role, really. Like She was in a film called Girl Fight, which was a, yeah. a, an, a an indie film. And that got her noticed, and then she was in this as a very peripheral supporting character. And yeah. she was in Resident Evil. I think Resident Evil was the film that more kind of like pushed her star in the right direction as well because she was more central to that story. Yeah. The only other person I would say that he has chemistry with is Helen Mirren for like three minutes <laughs> of Fast and Furious 9. <laughs> I don't know what it is about him and actors like Helen Mirren and Judy Dench, but I think he definitely has a thing for the grey, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's think. Just hold that in mind, Paul Walker, Vin Diesel, while I go through some of the other actors that were considered for Paul Walker's role in the film. Yeah, yeah. Eminem was offered the role, turned it down. Yep. He decided to do Eight Mile instead. Terrible move. <laughs> <laughs> no, good move. Yeah. Actors that were considered but not offered were Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg. Definitely. Yeah, I, I can see Mark Wahlberg in this. Marky Mark. Another actor that was offered the role was Timothy Oliphant, but as he was in Gone in 60 Seconds, he turned it down. Yeah. And then shortly after that, it went to Paul Walker, I think is the right choice. The only other person I can see out of that list, really, as you mentioned, is Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Like, at that era, Mark Wahlberg could have fallen into that. Yeah. Paul Walker had starred in Rob Cohen's previous film, um, is it Skulls? Yes, The Skulls, yeah. So, yeah, it kind of makes sense that he would continue with that relationship anyway. Yeah. I should mention before we continue, to, as a serious point, that for anybody listening to the episode, Rob Cohen does direct The Fast and Furious, but we won't really be talking about him. As far as I'm aware, he has a background of being a trash human being. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's not somebody that we'll be discussing like him individually, although we will be discussing the film. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought I should mention that. Uh, yeah, I just want to throw out there as well, just in regards to Paul Walker, he was 
a limited actor, but I quite liked him. I saw him in a film. I can't remember what it was called. It was like one of his last films. I think it was released just after he died. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was set during Hurricane Katrina, and it has a very simple setup, which is his wife died giving birth to his daughter. His daughter is on support and needs oxygen, and during Hurricane Katrina, all the electrics go off in the hospital and they're left abandoned in this hospital essentially they've been left behind and he's just got a manual pump to use to keep pumping air into his infant daughter's little oxygen box Mm -hmm. and every time he does it he gets 90 seconds to traverse the area as far as he can to try and get help but i really enjoyed that and he, he was a limited actor but he was good at what he did and yeah, it's just a shame that we've lost them because talking about the franchise specifically, although we did have the great butting of heads between, as you say, the uh, the Mitchell brothers themselves, uh, yeah, The Rock yeah. and Vin Diesel, <laughs> the great tension between those two, but yeah. by the last film that they were in together, they didn't want to be on set together, so they were shot separately, mm. and boy, can you tell. Yeah, like <laughs> they're never in the same shot together, and when they are, I think it's like for like three times. It's very, very clearly CGI, and it's a shame that you have these two actors that have this fizz between them. They're clearly great on each other, and that shows on screen, and that's good for the character. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's so much so that they they kind of don't want to be around each other, so they, they kind of deprive us of that. It becomes it, it becomes damaging to the series. Yeah, and it sounds like for me as well, like Paul Walker's death, which kind of an ironic death as well considering the series that he's most associated with but i kind of found it weird watching some of the scenes in the first fast and furious yeah knowing what happened to him is rather rather prophetic i would say and you have like characters constantly shouting at him you're going to explode yeah and it's like okay like james dean kind of thing yeah for me it sounds like the loss of him and the feud between him and dwayne johnson you get to the point where with F9 where there's no one else left and it's it's purely a Vin Diesel joint. Yeah. And his ego is rampant. Yeah. The only the film I could compare it to is say something like The Postman. <laughs> you know, a film so built around one person and built to show how awesome this person is. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's Kevin Costner levels of ego boosting. It does. I mean, let's talk about Fast 9. Let's go into yeah. that because, like, I mentioned that there's an action scene in The Fast and the Furious, which is probably the best scene in the entire film. And I just want to set that up as a juxtaposition to what we're about to talk about with Fast 9. There is a very similarish scene in Fast 9. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. This scene in The Fast and the Furious, it's just simply three and then a, a fourth car, one lorry, and a driver with a shotgun whose face we never really get to see. Yeah. yeah I think you mentioned it made you think of Jewel. <laughs> yeah, it was a cross between like I say, it's a cross between the Road Warrior and Jewel. Yes, yeah. But yeah, very small but effective sequence with real stakes, mm-hmm. like proper human stakes. And it's a sequence where you're like, oh shit, are the guys going to get out of this intact? God, I hope they get those DVD players. And, yeah. And just as a note, not that I'd say the film is remarkable in any way, but the, the film ends on a, in a really odd way where it just it ends and there's no real wrap up. There's no real coda to the film. So you don't know what happens to no. some of the other secondary characters. And it's a testament to the film that I actually genuinely wanted to know what happened to some of the characters, and I was a little bit annoyed that we yeah. didn't get that closure. So it was kind of a, a flaw in the film, but also, you know, I commend it for actually making me care a little about about some of these characters. Yeah. So. 
I mean, I think as we mentioned, there's a character called Vince who has a very kind of homoerotic relationship with yeah. Vin Diesel, with Dominic Toretto. I mean, Dominic, yeah. the whole film is like people, these subs vying for Dom's attention. Yeah. And it's like, his his name is Dom. How more homoerotic <laughs> can you get? But yeah, you have that character Vince, who's like, the last thing they see him is like, ah, he's going to bleed out. We need to get a, him to a hospital ASAP. And then we see him getting taken away in a helicopter, and that's it. Like, there's yeah. no, there's no like, no extra scene. We don't see what happens to Brian after after his whole thing with with Dom. It just feels like everything's just hanging in the air, which is strange because we think of it now, and as I've seen the entire series, there are like things that come back from this that are like answered in other films. But yeah, yeah. I don't think this was like planned to be a huge series when it started. <laughs> It feels more like it's just something that they just didn't believe that they had to do or simply ran out of time and budget doing. Yeah, well, it's odd because there, there is actually a, a, an extra scene that they shot that's at the end of the film with Brian and Mia. And I think even Ted Levine's in the scene. I didn't get a chance to actually watch it, but it, it did actually go some ways in wrapping up at least some more of the characters. Yeah, Ted Levine feels like he should be coming back at the end to have like... A debriefing. Yeah, uh, so I don't know why that scene was excised. Yeah. The scene, it it reminds me very much of Death Proof in how that ends, because obviously Death Proof is modelled on the on the groundhouse exploitation films, and, and that's the kind of film that Fast and Furious most resembles. It's like a modern version yeah. of, of yeah. exploitation film. So in a way, you can kind of say it's kind of appropriate for the film to end like that, because... The business is done. Get out straight away. That kind of, of course, thing. Of course, yeah. It, so maybe it's an artistic choice to, to end it in that way. I don't know. I think they were fans of Hitchcock. Yeah. Oh, the, the only other thing as well, it might have been one of those things where the studio wanted the film to be an hour and 45 minutes and no longer. That could be, yeah. Because uh, it's that kind of a film where like they want it to play to a certain kind of audience who may have a certain... Um, attention span <laughs> sort of thing that's it are the audience who this film is for going to care that that no, isn't paid no. off in like a more an, a normal film would do then that's like for them the moment that brian walks away it's kind of like it's over for them yeah it's either a studio note or conscious choice to to end it like way yeah like it tested a certain way but as a self-contained film it's it's a little bit unsatisfying yes yeah but um I'd take that any day over what happens with the rest of the series. <laughs> so yeah, comparing that to Fast and Furious 9, or Fast 9, I think it's called F9, the F9. Fast Saga. Fast Saga, my ass. So here we go. This is the synopsis for the Fast and the Furious. Dominic Toretto, Vin Diesel, enjoys the adrenaline of streetcar racing, and the fans treat him like he's a rock star. After a blazing encounter with the ruthless Johnny Tran, Dom decides to take Brian, Paul Walker, a newcomer to street racing, under his wing. Dom's sister, Mia, sees something she likes in Brian, too. Trouble is, neither of them realise he's an undercover cop. And Dominic and his rival, Johnny Tran, are both the prime suspects in a case involving dirty money and big rig hijacking. So that's the first film. Yeah. Fast and Furious 9, this is the official synopsis. <laughs> Dom Toretto is living the quiet life off the grid with Letty and his son, but they know that danger always lurks just over the peaceful horizon. This time, 
That threat forces Dom to confront the sins of his past to save those he loves the most. His crew soon comes together to stop a world-shattering plot by the most skilled assassin and high-performance driver they've ever encountered, Dom's forsaken brother. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. And like when you compare the budgets of the two, it's like... The Fast and the Furious, 37 million. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's Fast Nine, two hundred million plus question mark question mark. Yeah, because I know that the new film Fast and Furious X has got a budget of three hundred million dollars. How much do you want to put on the table right now? That X gone give it to you is going to be the the theme <laughs> to the trailer. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder if it'll be like some dramatic cover of it, like some epic. Yeah, wimpy totally. girls softly speaking. X gone give it to you into the microphone. Well. Some strings play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So Fast 9. Andy, it sounds like you had a great time with this film. Wow, 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 wow. I mean, it's not quite up to that level of fucking the frame. No. But this felt like Fast and the Furious as directed by Michael Bay. It reminded me very much of that Six Underground, and not just because it was using magnets. That's something that both of those films do. Mm. But it has that same kind of... um, like, in that film, they're constantly going from place to place around the world. Yeah. But the place that they're in is so inconsequential, it doesn't really matter because the camera moves so much. Yeah. This feels like that as well, where it keeps going from country to country, and it never really establishes where they are or why they are there. It's no. just globetrotting <laughs> for who knows. It's, like, written by somebody who's never travelled. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't realize how long it takes to get from one place to another because the fact that their base is in the fucking Caspian Sea <laughs> and then wherever else they are, they're in fucking Tokyo, London, Edinburgh, and God knows where else. And then they keep meeting up in this base in the Caspian Sea. And it's like, fuck me, how long, how long, you know, the space of time this film took was it taking place over the course of a month. Yeah, like, and it's like every time they get like there's a whole action scene in Edinburgh, or yeah. as they say in this film, Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh. There's a whole action sequence there that comes to a head, and then in the next scene, all the characters arrive at the Caspian Sea base as if they've just yeah. walked off those streets, <laughs> thousands of miles away. And I still have no idea what that whole action sequence in Edinburgh was about, anyway. My wife and I were talking, like, the first thing you see is there's supposed to be the second half of this device that's going to take over the world, like, nukes and satellites and all this kind of nonsense. And John Cena is trying to to obtain it, and I think it's underground or overground, I don't know, but he seems to be going over the houses. But you see him, you see people delivering (laughs) a very large John Cena-type box to a fucking, like, underground base. Like, very easily. And the next thing, the next shot that you see is John Cena picking up the device that he needs. You don't see anything in between. There's no, like, heist. There's no, like, knocking out the guards or strangling people or anything like that. It's just they deliver this Trojan horse <laughs> that's shaped like John Cena. <laughs> and yeah. the, and then the next thing you know, he's flying over the, the streets of Edinburgh. I, I don't get what's going on in that whole sequence. No, I think it's just to demonstrate the length of John Cena's zipline. <laughs> hey! It seems to go on forever. It does, yeah. I kind of worked out by the end of that sequence that he's actually going short distances and then keeps reattaching the zipline. But yeah. the way that it's edited together, 
it makes the zip line look like it's about five miles long. Yes. Every time they go over, you know, on the next street, John Cena's seen above the street on his zip line, continuing on his journey. And as, and I'm just left thinking, fuck me, how long is that zip line? I want to go. The question <laughs> I asked straight away was, what, why is that somehow faster than a helicopter just picking them up? <laughs> you know, like in that kind of action movie way, I'll get to the top of this building, jump on a helicopter, whoop, I've gone. Instead, he's like, no, no, I'm going to zip line for 20 miles. <laughs> it's because they've done helicopters, but we haven't done zip lines. <laughs> that would be why. <laughs> I always like it when I see a film where it's 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 by people that, like, this is by Americans. Yeah. Like, and it has sets that are supposed to be based in England. Like, for example, John Cena and Vin Diesel have a fight in this old building in edinburgh yeah and like throwing each punching through the walls and falling through like the uh the doorways and stuff and then knocking the plasterboard off the side and i'm like that wouldn't be plasterboard that'd be fucking stone (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. that building has been there for 200 years (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's clearly been written by americans because for me like a huge just non-entity just awful character is the character of Ramsey by Natalie Emmanuel because every single line that she says is just clunky as fuck yeah I didn't actually realize that she was an already an established character because you wouldn't have fucking known because she has no character no no she, she she is somebody as well from the moment that they introduced her I think in Fast and Furious 6 or 7 they ran out of things for her to do yeah and all she is is just the tech exposition on legs and that's all it is that's well, all she does and they, and the, her dialogue is just awful they introduced her as this like elite hacker yeah but in all of the other films like Ludacris and tyrese gibson have done that side of things anyway so this is the one where they try and push it back to the forefront again but yeah she still feels like incredibly redundant and the falling over themselves to give her something to do and also like you say a dialogue is so so stunted and this is a film that makes me think when i look at that actress and i don't want to really like badmouth somebody but when i see that actress in this and i i see people that speak like her in this particular way in other films i always think it's bad acting but now i'm starting to think that it happens enough that this is just simply how certain americans want us to be shown how to speak I was thinking about this, and if you supplanted the dialogue, if you, say, had Tyrese Gibson saying that dialogue, it would be fine. Yeah, It's to do with with the vernacular. And you get this every single time you get a British character. I mean, it's it's not approaching anywhere near the level of badness, but for me, it reminded me a lot of watching Transformers The Last Night. Right, yeah. Because in that film, there's a lot of, British characters, but it's all obviously written by an American writer and yeah, a not yeah. very good American writer. So they just talk like however the writer talks. Yeah. They don't bother to do any kind of actual character, you know, think about how the character would speak sort of thing. It's just kind of dialogue that as an English person or as a British person, you just would not say. Or you would yeah. not say it in that way. She is the equivalent of the kid in The Mummy Returns for me. Yeah. And also I think she just doesn't fit naturally into that team she just no. sticks out like a sore thumb she just looks like she shouldn't be there yeah it doesn't work for me at all and it, it's a real like i mean not much work for me in this film anyway but <laughs> she was like 
one of the big things that didn't work for me because I just found her incredibly irritating. And yeah. also, I hate people who are like, you know, in that sequence in Edinburgh, she's wearing dark glasses. Not sunny. Why are you wearing those glasses? They haven't been there. And she's, you know, involved in this very critical scene. Take the fucking glasses off. You know, it's just... Yeah, uh, yeah. It, that character annoyed the hell out of me. I think the, the other thing with this film... Because it's the most overblown of the series, from what I gather, but also because it tries to be a prequel to the original Fast and Furious as well, because with all the flashback sequences. Yeah. Well, that's why I wanted to do it as like first and last, because it has that connection. Yeah. But it jars so badly, because if the series had continued in the vein of the first four films, it would work okay. But because it's gotten so crazy and overblown and everything that those yeah. scenes just don't fit and 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 it's all the more laughable when they try and obviously retroactively fit this other family member into the film when they've never been mentioned before at all yeah it, it, it it's very very strange and it, because there is at least some steps made towards explaining why dom's never mentioned him but there are no reasons why everyone else hasn't because they make efforts to show that all of the other characters are aware of him. He has a sister, and nobody yeah. ever mentions it, you know? As like, yeah. is this something our brother should help us out with? Nope, 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 nope. But it's something that you did say, that like, if it starts, you know, in the vein of the first four films. The thing is that I think this franchise has been reinvented more than once, yeah. um, looking yeah. over the series. And... There's something that at least Fast Five does really well, is that it still feels like it has a foot in what the Fast and the Furious was. Yeah. Whilst also bringing it up to date and making it feel a little more prestige. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, sure, it is like Ocean's Eleven for dummies, but it's a very fun film with very strong practical effects-driven action scenes. It's got a very simple plot, with just a singular bad guy who's simply a you know money hungry gangster corrupt politician type character. You might may have seen it before, but it's really quite simple. And it's they want to steal the money from this person whilst evading his goons and making sure that they don't get arrested by Interpol or the police or whoever. Yeah, that's it. And it's and it's quite quite simple, but it reinvents it as just like a little something else. I think the moment that they turned it into Mission Impossible, which was like yeah, the sixth yeah. or seventh film where it started to bring those elements more. I think it may have been the seventh film, actually, where they started to bring those elements to the forefront. That's when it kind of got reinvented once more and it yeah. got turned into something else. And this feels like them trying to turn it into something a little bit more Marvel as well, <laughs> like yeah, introducing yeah, that element to it, even with the spin-offs like Hobbs and Shaw and that type of thing. It has been reinvented a few times along the way. And in, in doing so, it's it's just completely lost its shape by this point. I don't think it knows what this series is or wants to be anymore. I don't think anybody has a strong idea. Perhaps Vin Diesel does. <laughs> I think it's because, you know, there's been so many sequels. And ever since Fast Five, there's been the need to try and top themselves in terms of, you know, the, the spectacle. Oh, they've topped themselves, all right. I don't know where they're going to go with Fast Ten. Like, is it going to be set on the moon? Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, yeah. That's good. <laughs> Dinosaurs. People are asking for a Jurassic World Fast and Furious 
spin-off. The series you could cross it over the most would be would be something like Transformers. Oh god, yeah, yeah. Especially considering it involves cars. Like, you know, Dom's just fixing the car and all of a sudden it turns out to be Bumblebee. You know, it's it's that level. It's yeah. like I say, it's like Michael Bay That's the it. Fast That's and where Furious it's going. Film. It's it's not quite to the level, you know, there's less fucking in the frame, there's less sparks and fireworks. I think the last night was on the television about a week ago, uh, and I did watch about five minutes of it, and um, it's like a, a fuck up in a fireworks factory. You know, it's it, there's so many sparks and and whizzy <laughs> like Catherine wheels going on. Yeah. She is throwing a Catherine wheel up in front of the camera. It's almost to that level, almost not quite. Could you imagine if Aliens is the next step? Really? <sighs> yeah. Tyrese Gibson and Ludacris going to space somehow triggers first contact. Oh man, that space sequence! Space, fucking hell! The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Vauxhall Astra. I mean, it, it's funny. Like the space sequence is so fucking ridiculous, but it's still probably one of my favourite parts of the film, just because <laughs> of because of Tyrese and Ludacris's chemistry and just their banter. It was actually quite funny. They're the only characters that work in this film for me. Yeah, the fact that they're trying to duct tape the windows and shit. And they're wearing <laughs> fucking deep sea diver costumes. Yeah. <laughs> for me, that's the only part of the film where it kind of earned its ridiculousness. Yeah. Because of those two characters, they, they kind of work. But like I said before, the film doesn't really earn how overblown it is because the script isn't smart or funny enough to yeah. bring those elements together it, it takes itself so seriously at times yeah especially with the vin diesel side of the film what you mean one of the four writers involved in this film didn't uh, inject it with some comedy yeah anytime vin diesel is on the screen that's when the film doesn't work yes <laughs> it's quite funny that it's you know it's, it's a vin diesel starring vehicle and and the bits where the film doesn't really work is when he's like the main focus well the, the, it's funny you say that anytime that he isn't on the screen because I, i've written in my notes that and you might not get this reference but i do get big poochie vibes from from this film which is a reference to the <laughs> simpsons when they introduce yeah. poochie to itchy and scratchy which yeah, is yeah. like one of the things that homer simpson says that he wants to add to amend the characters he says i've substituted the word poochie with dominic toretto and yeah and i've written and when dominic toretto isn't on screen all of the other characters should be asking, where's Dom? And it's like, <laughs> the film has that element where, like, when he's not on the screen, all the other characters just stand around mythologizing Dominic Toretto and his family. You know? Yeah. <laughs> they, they play one joke about it, but it doesn't stop them from continually doing it over and over again. And it, it does feel like it's written by Vin Diesel in that way, like he's his own script editor. And he's <laughs> like, you know, in this on page... On page 24, 27, 29, and so on, there needs to be more talk about my character specifically because I'm not on on screen at this point. Yeah. He's like, I don't want people to forget that Dominic Toretto's in this film because it's been two pages since we saw him last. I mean, I was quite surprised that when they had the flashbacks that they didn't try and do a de-aged Vin Diesel to play the character. I was that was the most surprising element of the film. <laughs> they, they didn't. That, do that was what I expected. It seemed like that was a, a battle that Justin Leonard won. Yes, in that regard, because for my mind, if Vin Diesel had completely taken over this film, there's no <laughs> doubt in my mind that that would be a de-aged 
Maybe maybe there wasn't enough money in the budget for it or something like that. Rather than de-age him, they should have just kept him at the same size but just shrunk his face. (laughs) They could have put a wig on him. They could have had him with hair, but just keep him like... With like spray on hair. (laughs) 53-year-old Vin Diesel, but with with a toupee. I would have loved that. That would have been great. Because they say he didn't even have hair in the first one, so... God, that bit where he's he's in the water and then it cuts to like the flashbacks with him viewing it and it's just so nauseatingly narcissistic. Yeah. Like, it's just awful. Well, one of my notes is um, inspired by that sequence. Just before the flashback begins when Vin Diesel is beaten up by several individuals and then he pulls down some concrete pillars and crashes the whole walkway into the water. Yeah. <laughs> that whole... I mean, it's, it's madness. It's, it's a full, like, Hulk out moment that he has. Yeah. But there's just yeah. a moment in there where he's being, like, beaten up by about five or six guys, and it has a close-up of his face, and it's clearly something that Vin's asked for. And they have a close-up of his, of his face, and all he has is this kind of, like, indifference or mild annoyance. There's, you know, there's no bruises, there's no blood or anything like that. He's just like... Here I am again, getting beat up by six guys. I better kill them. You know, and I think this goes straight back to when The Rock joined the series. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a very famous clause in The Rock's contract that says that he can't lose a fight. And that starts during, I think, the Fast and Furious 6 or 7, and it continues from there throughout his career. But because that got quite popular... Other people in the Fast and Furious franchise decided to include that in their contract. <laughs> and, hell. for example, Jason Statham included it in his contract to say, well, if that's in the Rock contract, I don't want to take any more punches than he takes in a film. So, during Hobbs and Shaw, when they did that, considering that these characters start off as enemies and then become friends, they have to take an equal amount of damage in the film. They, the, the punches that they receive have to be equal because neither one needs needs to be seen as being better than each other. And with Vin Diesel, it's been negotiated into his contract. Very similarly with the punches thing, he has a limited number of punches he can sustain, and also he can't be shown as being badly injured. Which, we like, we look at the Fast and the Furious and the way he is at the end of that film, yeah, and it's yeah, kind of, like, yeah. left up to the audience as to whether or not he's driving into the sunset or if he's going to survive his wounds or... You know, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's a very point break type of ending. Whereas when you look at that scene where he goes full Hulk out and he's he's being punched to bits, it's just like there's no damage that he's taken whatsoever. And I think when, once that happens, you stop caring. For me, outside of any scene involving Tyrese and Ludacris, I was so bored. Yeah. It's really boring film. Like, because there's no weight to anything, no stakes to anything you know, the only thing this film's missing is a fucking blue light in the sky. <laughs> We're sa- they're saving that for the next one. They are, yeah. It's so fucking dull. Even the setup of that scene, though, where Vin gets his chance to fight all of these guys, it's clearly something that Vin's just added onto the uh, script because you have this moment where it's established that they've brought the magnets, these powerful magnets, into their lair, into their Caspian Sea lair. How the fuck they got them from edinburgh to the caspian sea is anyone there's no scenes of anyone traveling they know a guy who can uh, transport cargo they hid them amongst these dvd players <laughs> um, you have this moment where somebody turns like they've been all captured they're being held at gunpoint 
and then somebody turns on the magnet it pulls all the guns off them but it also pulls the pins out of the grenades and everybody says run and they run away to the next room that was clearly supposed to be where an explosion was and it rocks the foundations of whatever room they're in next and vin goes down with the uh, walkway whereas everybody else gets away i think that was how that scene was supposed to play out but vin was like yeah. no it has to be smoke grenades and then I get to fight six guys. Yeah. And I get so angry that I pull away these concrete pillars with my bare hands. <laughs> and then the walkway falls on me, but it's okay because I'm the fucking Hulk. Ugh. It feels like it's written by like a 13-year-old. Yeah. The, the other thing as well, you can't buy him in the action sequences. One, because he's like 50-odd. <laughs> and two, you can very much tell that his workout regime restricts his movement. Yes. Because you can tell that he's someone who uses fixed weights because he's so top-heavy and stiff. Have you seen him when he runs? No. <laughs> Every now and again, he runs, and he looks delicate. Like, yeah. it looks like he's he's wobbling on his legs a little bit. Oh. <laughs> but I've always been told, uh, when I used to go to the gym, if, if, if you see someone who is really stacked, but they move in a really stiff fashion, they, or they've basically been doing almost their entire routine on fixed weights yeah, rather than, you know, free weights. So, yeah, this guy, you know... For somebody that doesn't work out, Andy, you do spend a lot of time at the gym talking to buff yeah. dudes. Well, you know. <laughs> hanging out of the water fountain. Have they just opened that <laughs> Turkish bathhouse near you? <laughs> they do a very good treatment. Yeah. The Travolta special. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, he's incredibly stiff. I bet he is. Well, but you know what I mean? He's, he, when you see him walking, he's just like, yeah, he can't move his neck. It's like, <laughs> you don't buy that he can beat any of these guys because you, you probably can't even raise his arm. No. Vin Diesel has just become just this ridiculous figure. Yeah. And the fact that there's no one else there now in the cast to balance him out, mm -hmm. that's why... I mean, we'll go into this in the stats and facts. This is probably the most poorly received of all the Fast and Furious films. Yeah. And I think that is why, because this is now purely about Vin Diesel's ego and fueling yes. that. There's nothing else left anymore. Well, that's it. That's why, like, all of the other characters just talk about Dominic Toretto whenever he's not on screen. It's just... The man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, it's, it's his own mythology that he's making yeah. around himself. And it's strange, though. I mentioned before we began recording that I'm going to say something that you may find controversial yeah. about this film. And that is that, for a while, these films haven't had much of a story, but they've still been somewhat enjoyable. This is the first one that I've not enjoyed on any level. Yeah, yeah. The last few have been garbage, really, but I've still enjoyed them. You know, they've still yeah, been a certain yeah. level of trash that I've found quite entertaining. And they remind me of a certain type of film, and that is a Roger Moore Bond film. Yeah. And that is just the way that they're made, in that it's clearly a bunch of producers and filmmakers get together, they talk about where they want to go, Yeah, they talk about which locations they want to see, uh, which like landmarks they want to go to. Th this film doesn't have that, other than Edinburgh, it doesn't really have that. The locations that they go to are completely... I mean, even Edinburgh is inconsequential, but it's the only place that feels like it's been identified yeah but like it's clear that they've they've picked a location and then they've written the script around whatever they've decided they're going to go to and whatever acts that they're going to um, encompass in the story you know much like roger Moore bond films did obviously it's a different film it's a different kind of film on a 
<laughs> filmmaking and character level and all that kind of stuff. The Bond films certainly have far more charm and are far yeah. more accomplished. Stunts. Stunts. Yeah. <laughs> far more accomplished stunts. Yeah. Executed without any assistance. Codding stunts. <laughs> and it does, but it, it feels like it still has that same drive behind it where they're not really story-driven. They're more spectacle-driven and more geographically driven as well about what places yeah, can yeah. we visit. And certainly where they went to felt more prominent in the other films. Like uh, each different Fast and Furious film felt like, oh, we're going to another place and they're going to have an adventure here and something's going to, you know, something crazy is going to happen here and they're going to introduce a few bits from, from this area. This one, though, I feel like even on that level, it just completely falls apart. It completely fails to do that. There are places that they could have gone with this. There's a whole action sequence in the final act, which is just a mess, really. It's like this, what I mean, what is an armoured bus ride through armored some truck Eastern... Thing, yeah. Armoured truck through some Eastern European city. I yeah. don't know why. I don't know why it's there. I don't know where nope. it is. I couldn't even tell you what that Ares thing even does. No. It's the ultimate shit MacGuffin. Yes. I, I wrote on my notes, I am tired of this shit. Yeah. I am yeah. so fucking tired of using these doomsday devices as the main plot element just to get things going because it just it's the laziest thing possible. And this is so, so anonymous that they don't even demonstrate what it does. No. Like, it's the only way you can, you know, compare it to something like Hitchcock where they don't demonstrate what it does or anything. It's just, like, thing that moves the plot, but it's, like, one of the worst examples I can think of that does that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, God, that rich boy character that's with John Cena, <sighs> I, I genuinely thought he was established in an earlier film. They act like he is. They do, yeah. I mean, there's quite a few things, like uh, that Cardi B. That's who it was. Me and my, me and my wife, Alison, were talking about it um, while we watched it. But that is set up like she's made an appearance in an earlier film. Yeah, I, yeah, I have no idea. I was shocked to find out that that's her first appearance in the Fast and Furious. And series. she's a born actress. I know she's coming back for Fast 10. Something for me to look forward to. But It's like having Daniel Day-Lewis back. It does feel very like MCU-ish because it does not give a fuck whether you have seen any of the previous films, it just goes straight in, does not care about, you know, I'd say the casual viewer. Yeah. But in a way, it doesn't even care about the dedicated viewer because these characters no. just pop up without any establishment. It's just that, so Well, weird. that's what I was just about to mention. I was going to say, it's not just for like people that haven't seen the other films. At least the other ones had some title sequence that clued you into some of the things that happened in the past you know like previously on fast and furious it had a very old school title sequence in the same way that the sam raimi spider-man films did yeah. which for a series like this that's exactly what you need yeah uh, it's something that can just visually tell you in a few still frames or a few little snippets what's happened previously mm -hmm. fine brilliant with this one though as you mentioned it introduces characters from here, there, and everywhere, and just pretends that they have a background with the series. It's that thing, again, that you mentioned earlier on. It's unearned. Yeah, yeah. They're not doing the hard work, but they're pretending that they have. Yeah. And also, talking about the characters, what the fuck... What, what is the point of having a mathematics and physics genius on the team, like uh, Ludacris Bridges, when physics <laughs> don't matter? No. Like, in the very opening, like, 20 minutes of the film, a oh, man drove God. off a cliff into a fucking plane, and another man drove off a cliff 
and used a bridge rope like a bungee cord on his fucking car and he meant to do it yeah and then you have another character saying where the maths don't lie it's like in this film yes they fucking do yeah i mean f9 it tries to do what mission impossible fallout did yes it is yeah in that it tries to bring quite a lot of these past elements together and and kind of be a bit of a celebration of the franchise but does it so badly. Mm-hmm. I mean, right down to the fact that they have Charlize Theron's character, Cypher. She's the, um, what's the guy, what's the character in Mission Impossible called? Yeah, the Sean Harris character. But the fact that he's in a Perspex box, it's the same fucking idea. Where is she shitting? <laughs> no idea. What, what's going on with her hair, man? I know, yeah, she looks like she's been, she, she walked into a, um, a fucking hairdresser's and put down a picture of a bell end and went. <laughs> Well, it's I like the that, classic bowl cut, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so <just> a... <laughs> what do you want? I want a fringe. Okay, and what else do you want? No, no, no. I just want a fringe the whole way round. Just fry a tuck me, bad boy. She filmed on that one set for about two days for this film. Of course she did. Totally did. Oh, my God. To be honest, though, she does have probably the best line in the film. The only line that made me go, <laughs> Yeah. And that was where they're having the Star Wars talk, which is a terrible little bit in and of itself. Oh, yeah, Yoda, you're the puppet. You're like Yoda, and he's saying, what, what, wise and a Jedi master and all this, and he says, no, you're a puppet, you've got someone's hand up your ass, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, <laughs> okay, I see, yeah, I get you, one, one point. She probably wrote that line. Yeah, she probably did. <laughs> <laughs> That's like all, like all the other, like, good dialogue is, pro- is all the is all the ludicrous Tyree shit and it's probably them just like riffing off each other yeah. in that car <laughs> that was easily my favourite bit like, you know, and they're like oh we're putting duct tape on shit I guess you had no idea really about like the Tokyo Drift guys as well well I-, I knew that they were the guys from Tokyo Drift what makes me laugh is that Lucas Black is supposed to be like about 25 years old or something <laughs> yeah because obviously where Tokyo Drift is supposed to be in the chronology of the series is weird yeah, I imagine if you watched them in, in chronological order, it wouldn't work. I have never done that. For for all the years I've been going to see these films, they've always been a kind of like a one and done. I'll go see them once at the cinema, yeah, and yeah. That, that's it. It's like, ha-ha, that was fun, and I'll never watch it again. Yeah, The only one I've seen multiple times is, well, other than now the first and last one, are um, just Fast Five. That's the only one I've seen several times. Yeah, That's the only one that feels like it warrants repeat viewings, just so you can enjoy some of the practical effects work in the film. I feel like the series has coasted on the success of that Fast Five because that was the one that really changed the the course of the series. Yeah, And obviously Fast Seven, for external reasons, it would be interesting to see in an alternative dimension how well Fast Seven would have done if Paul Walker was still with us. Yes. It sounds horrible to say, but I feel like a large part of that film's success surrounded all that, all of that. Of course it did, yeah. There was like a sort of almost like a morbid curiosity about the film. There was, because he died having filmed so little of that film. I think it was like only half of his scenes. Yeah, yeah. There was the curiosity surrounding how on earth they're going to complete this film and integrate previous footage and his brothers into the film to make a seamless whole. And fair play to them for james wan it must have been an absolute nightmare and apparently he had a nightmare with vin diesel shock horror (laughs) explains why he didn't come back yeah exactly yeah largely i would say like 80 percent of it it's quite seamless they do a a rather good job of it it's still worth watching that one because several of those ones in between 
are worth watching for the history, the the background surrounding the film, the feuds. The one afterwards, Fast and Furious 8 is where it starts to go off the rails and then we're here. But Fast and yeah, Furious yeah. 8 is worth watching as well because that's where the, the Vin Diesel and the Rock feud comes to a visible head in the film itself. Yeah, It yeah. starts to impact the film. As far as Fast 9 goes, I don't even think, other than we haven't mentioned it really yet properly, but there is a background to this film with regards to the pandemic. Yeah. That only affected the release of the film. It didn't really affect the yeah, making yeah. of the film. There's not nothing really interesting about the background of this film. There's nothing really interesting in the film itself. The only no. thing that's really interesting about it is just simply, oh, well, this was like one of the first mid-pandemic releases. It got pushed back a year. They were at least one of the first studios that realized the enormity of the pandemic in front of them and just simply went... Fast and Furious is being pushed back a year, and we'll see about it then. Yeah, yeah. So many other films are like, just kept, like we saw it with No Time to Die. How many times did that change its release date? Yeah. Uh, other than that, there's nothing even interesting to say behind the scenes. It's just, it's a nothing film by a director who is clearly not at his best or simply not being given the time to make a, a decent film. He's on the scripts as well, so he has to take some of the blame on this, but it doesn't even feel like a Justin Lin film. Which is a shame, because I, I do like him as a director. He made two good, fast films. And he made my favourite new Star Trek film. Yeah. I'm interested to see what he does next, but I don't want to see him make any more of this trash. I mean, the opening of the film is just weird as well, because it. <laughs> the, the, I remember the trailer made so much of those opening scenes. I think there's even scenes in the trailer that aren't in the film where they talk about family about 500 times. My family. I mean, to my surprise, there is less of that in this film than I thought there was going to be, considering how much people talk about that and make, you know, it's almost like, you know, it's become a meme, you know, in terms of how much people talk about family in, in Fast and the Furious. Yeah. Um, it surprised me how little of it is in the film. But the fact that you go from them in hiding, but not really, they're not doing a very good job of it, mm -hmm. considering Tyrese just pop, you know, pops around, like, you know, just come round, hi. <laughs> All of a sudden they're on a plane, with with some characters I've you know I don't know who the fuck they are. Do you remember that Kurt Russell was in this? Yeah, and then they go headlong into that action sequence in that fictitious country, and I'm just sat there just going, "What? I have no fucking yeah. idea what's going on." And that continues all the way until the end. It was only until the next day, I, like I'd seen this before, and I already knew that this doesn't get paid off. But my wife said to me in the morning, "Hey, what happened to Kurt Russell in the film?" <laughs> And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Wait till the next film. You'll yeah. <laughs> find that out in the next We're gonna episode. We're going to find Mr. Nobody on Paramount Plus, the limited yeah. six-episode series. Oh, my God. The, the funny thing is the thing I can compare this the most to is the movie within a movie in Last Action Hero. Oh, God, yeah. This is like those Jack Slater films. It's a Jack Slater film, yeah. And the thing is... it makes the Jack Slater films in Last Action Hero feel rather quaint and conservative. <laughs> they do. The fact that, you know, if you'd shown someone, who the, the people who made Last Action Hero, if you'd shown them what, you know, films are like now with a film like F9... What the modern-day action blockbuster looks like. They'd be like, we're not writing a satire anymore. Yeah, we need to go bigger. <laughs> We'd go bigger, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that it reminded me so much of that and just the... For me, like the ridiculous use of CG and the action sequences, yeah, and the lack of physics, and 
the low stakes of like no well zero stakes of anything going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it got to the point in the last sequence where the only stakes were for the background extras because fuck yeah. knows how many people got injured or killed. Oh yeah, the collateral damage was through the roof. Yeah, and the collateral damage and the use of those electromagnets. Even in the other films, um, yeah, Fast Five has some collateral damage, you would say. They try to go out the way to show that nobody gets hurt. But one thing that, like, you look at the Fast and the Furious and you look at, uh, there's other films in the series as well, where they kind of make a point that taking a life, specifically for Vin Diesel's character Dom, him taking a life is a a big deal. That loss of control, because of what happened in his past where he lost control and he nearly beat a man to death. He nearly does it again with The Rock and it's like, it's a moment where it means something to him and he realises he's lost his, his way a little bit. And in this film, he's so, like, brazen about fucking up bitches. Like, he picks that dude up and just, like, snaps his back. And yeah. he's throw, throwing guys off this walkway that's about six stories high. And, you know, he's bang. just, like, I'm breaking necks at left, right, and centre. I'm driving over bitches in the street. He doesn't give a shit. He does, and it's, like, that kind of, like, character inconsistency always gets on, like, it always gets on my nerves at because it shows, like, bigger isn't always better. And bigger can also betray who the character is. And I'm not saying that this is, you know, Vin Diesel's Dominic Toretto is a protected character. A character we must protect at all costs. I I don't give a shit. (laughs) But they're not even staying true to their own rules that they've set up in the series. No. And this is the film that really breaks that for me. And another thing I I really like about that end sequence, though, is that that armoured truck... You know, they actually, like, tip it over in the middle of a city... And by the time that it stops, they're out in the countryside. <laughs> that's how that's how long it's been upside down for. Yeah. The sheer laziness of how they get Vin Diesel out of the end of that sequence. He falls out. The pure cheek of it. Because it's one thing being self-aware and overblown, but that was just lazy. Yeah. Like, it, not even, it wasn't even funny. It was like, what? <laughs> they did that? <laughs> I mean, they did a similar thing about 10 minutes early with John Cena's character jumping from one car to the other. Yeah. Well, the shit use of digital doubles in this film is quite hilarious. Yeah, it's really bad. Not even a so bad, it's good thing. It's just bad. Um, you know, I think they think they're being like Sharknado, so bad it's good, but it's just bad. <laughs> I mean, it's funny the first time, but then when you've seen it like the 25th time yeah. they yeah. do that, it's like, oh God, do something else. Fucking hell. I'm always amazed by how... Like, we talk about the physics breaking, but how he continually uses his Dodge Charger to catch people who are hurtling through the air at, like, 80 miles an hour, and he, like, catches them on his metal bonnet, and they're like, whoa, I'm glad you saved me from that that fall. It's like, (laughs) no, he didn't save you. In the real world, he just ran you over. (laughs) You were going through the air, and then he hit you with his car. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's very Roger Moore, where... There's not a scratch on anybody. Yeah. That's not something I find appealing. No. I know some people do. There is definitely an audience for this kind for of sure. film that do yeah. like that, but it's just not my cup of tea. We found that out of the Daniel Craig Bond films, that there is certainly an audience for that type of hero. Yeah, because it's just boring. It is. What are the stakes? I think the only person that gets killed in this film is that Danish guy. Yeah. Nothing of any consequence happens in this film. You know, I can't even remember how he dies. Considering how much he tries to bring back and celebrate in the the series, and, and, you know, apart from 
Han coming back. Another character back from the dead. Yeah, you could take this film out of the series and jump straight to Fast 10, and you'd probably be in the same position as you were at the end of Fast 8. I think so, yeah. yeah. So little happens in it. Nothing happens with Cypher, like, considering she's meant to be the big bad. Like, having John Cena in the film, I was by night when he was announced as being part of it, I was like, oh, great. I like John Cena. He's great as Peacemaker. Yeah. And I've seen him in other things, and he's like got really strong comic timing and this type of thing. He's so joyless. Oh, he's a nothing character in he's this. He's so fucking joyless in this, and it's like, yeah, God, what a way to waste that particular actor. You know, he has his strengths, and you're just not playing to them whatsoever. Yeah, because John Cena has a natural charisma. I mean, if you, even if you watch him on fucking Total Wipeout, <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. you know, there's something about him, like you know, yeah. that's likable, and the fact that they just make him a, st- you know, he's the fucking Qui Gon Jin kind of character in this. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking awful and ridiculous but the only thing i liked about this film was the was uh ludicrous and tyrese gibson in a in a car in space yeah <laughs> in deep sea diver costumes yeah it was like something out of an austin powers film or a yeah. mel brooks film <laughs> <laughs> i like that every time they're bantering together there's some music that yeah. plays in the background that feels like um, yeah you know that garth morangi scene where they're um they're all gathered around having a joke and that playful music, that really bad playful music <laughs> yeah. plays. It feels yeah. like that every time that they're having like the scene where they're bantering. Yeah. I might play a clip from that just here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, they are like the MVPs. And to be honest, Tyrese and, and Ludacris have been for a couple of films now. So moving over to the stats and facts, I guess let's see what surprises this holds because we are essentially comparing a film from 2001, a small, low-budget, medium-budget film from yeah, medium. uh, 2001 compared to a mega-budgeted film released during a pandemic in 2021. So to start with The Fast and the Furious, it has a tomato reading of 53%. And the critic consensus is sleek and shiny on the surface. The Fast and Furious recalls those cheesy teenage exploitation flicks of the 1950s. So just as you said as well, Andy, before, it certainly has that element to it as well. In regards to the critical rating as a 5.4 out of 10 average rating. And uh, the audience score is 74% with 3.8 out of 5. Now, if we compare that as well to Fast 9. That actually has a 59% tomato reading, so slightly mm. higher. <laughs> and it says, F9 sends the franchise hurtling further over the top than ever, but director Justin Lin's knack for preposterous set pieces keeps the action humming. And that has a, also a 5.7 out of 10 average rating. In my opinion, those are the wrong way round. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, uh, uh, to be honest, with F9... For me, it's more like 30-odd percent. I think it has such a rating because when it came out, the the playing field had changed. Yeah. People were just happy to be going back to the cinema in any way, shape, or form. It's why films like Godzilla vs. Kong became bigger hits then. Yeah. And I think Fast 9 coming out, people kind of got wrapped up in, oh, I don't care what it is, it's just at least something to to see and some some spectacle that takes our minds off the dreary world outside i think even i got caught up in that i was like oh thank god it's just something but like watching it now it's legitimately unwatchable yeah yeah (laughs) um it has a it shows on here as having an 82 percent audience score but i will say as well the first one was rated by two hundred and fifty thousand people this is rated by five thousand people yeah yeah (laughs) so that is quite a difference 
Uh, that's 4.2 out of 5 average rating. Now, where we do see a difference is actually in the IMDb, IMDb score. Yeah. So, yeah, IMDb for The Fast and the Furious is 6.8 out of 10. And for Fast 9, it's 5.2 out of 10 and dropping. And that's the lowest of the whole series when I looked through. Yes, and it makes sense. Most of them are in the sixes and low sevens. And that is by a mile the lowest. Yeah, I mean, beforehand, I would have even said like the worst of the series was probably like a you know a 5.9 or something like that i would be mm. like that's what i would expect to see this probably will be in the fours pretty soon yeah unfortunately yeah. i did find a roger ebert review for the fast and the furious it would have been crazy if i found one for fast nine <laughs> <laughs> so the fast he says the fast and the furious is not a great movie but it delivers what it promises to deliver and knows that a chase scene is supposed to be about something more than special effects. It has some of that grandiose self-pitying dialogue we've treasured in movies like this ever since Rebel Without a Cause. I live my life a quarter mile at a time, Toretto tells Brian. For those 10 seconds, I'm free. And hey, even for the next 30 seconds, he's decelerating. <laughs> he gave that a three out of four. You could never really tell what Ebert was gonna, which way he was gonna go with any film, and mm. I'm always surprised. And the review for Fast Nine, I actually went to Empire Magazine, and it was uh, Joshua Rothkopf, and he says, two decades on, the franchise has a touch of self-deprecation to it, as well as an intimation of its own invincibility, both earned. There's even dialogue to that effect, threatening to break the fourth wall. In actuality, we've all seen how precarious blockbusters can be without uh, a season of moviegoers to welcome them. F9 isn't the perfect summer movie, but it's close enough. A reminder of the highs, lows, and long years that mark the escapism we need. So again, that very much feels like a COVID... (laughs) I I picked that one because it sounds exactly like where this film came out, why it got such an easy ride from critics. Yeah, because. It's like, ah, it's just something. It's just something we need. Spectacle. A bit of escapist nonsense. At the box office. It's not going to be a great comparison, so I'm just going to go one to the other now for box office because it's such a long gap between them and the playing fields have changed so dramatically. Yeah. So for The Fast and the Furious, the budget was $38 million. It made, at the domestic box office, $144 million, And worldwide, it made $207 million. It was released in June, and it faced at the box office on its first weekend. Uh, Doctor Doolittle 2, Lara Croft Tomb Raider, another Popcorn Digest episode, Atlantis The Lost Empire, Shrek, <laughs> Swordfish, oh, that's one to do, Pearl Harbor, mm. that's another one to do, Moulin Rouge, <laughs> Evolution, and starring Rob Schneider, It's the Animal. <laughs> and when Fast 9 was released, it made... $173 million at the box office. So actually, it's quite comparable in that way, just at the domestic box office. But overall, worldwide, it made $726 million. It had a budget, as we mentioned, anywhere from two to $300 million because it was impacted by the COVID pandemic as well. But production budget, I think they say, was 200 plus. And when it opened, it opened against A Quiet Place 2, The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway. I went to cinema to see that as well. <laughs> Cruella, 
The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, In the Heights, Spirit Untamed, Nobody, and 12 Mighty Orphans. And yeah, very few films around this time actually made, like cracked the $100 million box office barrier. So this was one of them. I think it was just this kind of spectacle people needed at the time. And now that we've given it some distance, we realize actually it's not as good. I'd say, I'd say good. It's not even as like trashy good as we thought it was. It's just plain yeah, yeah. bad. So that's the stats and facts with these two films. Do you have anything th- further to add? Yeah, for me, I'm just very curious as to know what they're going to do with Fast 10. I, I yeah. think I wrote... My, the last note I wrote, um, will Fast 10 involve a DVD player conspiracy on the moon? <laughs> <laughs> because the fact that Fast 9 is in space, which is uh, something they joked about in previous interviews uh, on the on some of the previous films. Like, yeah, I think uh, it might even even have been Tyrese said, oh yeah, one of the only places we haven't explored in these Fast films is is space. Um, so <laughs> that's why they did it like for Fast 9. But like, what are they going to do? Yeah. And also, because Vin Diesel is the central figure now in this series. It's a central creative force. Yeah, and the fact you have that that issue with justin lynn with the video you said yeah that it's basically just a vin diesel joint uh is it gonna go even further up its own ass yeah you know it the fact that it's supposed to be two films that are supposed to round off this series like how narcissistic are they gonna be like it's gonna be crazy it's just gonna be like so self-congratulatory as well yeah i have a funny feeling it's gonna um bite them on the ass a little bit because Although you have to take in, into consideration that the pandemic with the performance of the last film, even with The Fate of the Furious, it started a downward trend. So it'll be very interesting to see how well Fast 10 does when it comes out in May. But I have a feeling it's going to be a bit of a law of diminishing returns. I'll be, I'll be surprised if it makes a um, sort of Fast 7 business. I will yeah. be really surprised because I feel like with just Vin Diesel at the helm, it's lost some of its appeal. I felt I felt like a lot of the appeal was it having it mm-hmm. at two leads with like somebody else with Vin Diesel, yeah. which is kind of why Fast Five to Seven worked and why the balance got disrupted. Yes, uh, with Eight and even more so with F Nine. So yeah, it'll be really um, interesting because I don't think Vin Diesel has as much of a star pull as he thinks he does. You know, he's a legend in his own mind kind of thing. Well, you can see that in terms of, like, how all of his other films have performed at the box office outside of Fast. And also the fact that the new films are going to be directed by Louis, Louis Leterrier, who's a, a bit of a dog shit director. Yeah, he's only made one genuinely brilliant thing, and that is yeah. The Dark Crystal <laughs> That's going to be someone else's property. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely, I'm with you on that one. I, I'm, I'm at least excited that the next one is a film where the making of and the tabloids that come out following the film's release are going to be interesting whether the film is or not is another thing entirely but at least that side of thing is going to like that that side of things is going to be entertaining we didn't have that one with fast nine at least we have it with the next one even if it's just as bad yeah that's what i'm looking forward to i want my soap opera dramatics to continue <laughs> god damn it I won't be showing up to the theatre to see. You the next will one. be. I will be making no, you. You are. You no. are day one. I will have your ticket no. in hand, sir. Oh. <laughs> Definitely not. It's about family, Andy. Well, no, it's not about family. It's about Vin Diesel's ego. That's what it is. I feel really bad because 
I've set you up quite badly here with this one. And one of the things I was going to mention up front was, um, that's right, we're watching the first and last Fast and the Furious films. We're skipping the good ones and jumping yeah. straight in. And I feel like I really have done that to you as well with this series, is that you've now seen something that's like quite average to fine, as we said, and one that is truly not very good at all. Yeah, and yeah. it's like there are some actual gem action film gems in the middle of this series, and I've just skipped over them entirely for the purpose yeah. of this format. The thing for me as well, I just love the fact that they have this huge world-ending scheme that they have to foil with all these horrible consequences, and the fact that they have these crazy overblown set pieces, and they go into space and all that, and it still ends with them having a barbecue at the end. Yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised there's still a close-up of them drinking Coronas. It's kind of gone beyond self-parody at this point. Yeah. But again, it doesn't even capitalise on its on its self-parodiness because it's not smart enough to, to really reference it. And even when Tyrese and, and Ludacris do, it's not a very well-written breaking of the fourth it's wall. It's not clever enough. No, it's not clever enough to earn earn that. And the only time it does is when... Those two are in the fucking <laughs> in space, space car. <laughs> Duct tape <Yeah>. and windows. <laughs> yeah. Who'd have thought that when the Fast and Furious came out that it would result in a film where two guys are in a space car? You know what? You say it like that as well. Not even spaceship. They're in a space it's car. It's a space car. It's a space Pontiac. These are the voyages of the Starship Pontiac. Did they even show you how they even got down? No, no. They just... Because, like, the, the barbecue seems to take place the next day. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Did they genuinely drive this... The fucking rocket car to another space station, as if to the like, International Space Station. As if there's one just, oh, there it is. Yeah, that's it. You know? <laughs> well, they kind of show those little puffs of air, don't they? Yeah. You know, and the oh fuck. <laughs> and the fact that it's built by the Tokyo Drift guys. I, oh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh dear. What? No, the fact that it's built by little Bow Wow, who's now large yeah. adult Bow Wow. <laughs> Oh my word. Well, I think out of the two of them, it's clear that we would, if we had to recommend one, it would be the first one to watch. Yeah, and I say I definitely recommend that um, that end set piece in the first one because it actually is genuinely quite good. Yeah, I really enjoy that. It's so simple. It's that old adage of, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. It's the simplest thing that you have. People unarmed, they think they're set up for a different job and everything's flipped when the guy that they're trying to take the stuff off He's got a shotgun. It's not like they've got machine guns out the window or they've got magnets in the no, car. No. He's got a shotgun. He's got a, a regular sawn-off shotgun. I mean, and even when he when he shoots the the shotgun, it has weight to it. Yeah, it's like fuck, you know, one shot is like fucking hell. Mm-hmm. Whereas F nine uh, suffers from what a lot of films these days suffer from is that um, is a CGI crossfire. Yeah. where there's no weight or physics to anybody firing any guns. It's just like... Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. There's, no, there's not even any recoil. When you shoot... You know, I'm not that I've shot many guns. Like, no, even no, if but... you're fucking shooting an air rifle, it packs some bullet when you, when you shoot that. Yeah, you get a punch. And it's stuff like that. When you see it in old school films, it means something. Yeah. Whereas with modern films, everyone's just shooting left, right, and centre. God, you know, they're dodging all the bullets. And again, no weight, no stakes... What's the point? Yeah. There's no cinema there. No. That's not cinema. What is it? It's not even a video game. Video games are better than that. This is pod racing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, where's the thrill? 
It's not faster and it's not furious. No. It, it betrays its name. It's slow and mildly annoyed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so that's all we have time for on our latest episode of Popcorn Digest. Join us next time and it's going to be a, another regular episode as we'll be playing with our toys, let's say, as we watch the Joe Dante film, Small Soldiers. Until then, I've been Gareth. And I've been Vin Diesel's bald head. <laughs> well, you're going to say ball sack. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for listening. <laughs>